The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 16. From that time on, after Peter confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Or what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It is not on the church calendar, but on this nation's calendar, Labor Day weekend. Labor Day was birthed in conjunction with the labor movement in this country um, with the intent of honoring the contributions of this nation's laborers, not its, not its CEOs or presidents or billionaires, but its workforce, the contributions they have made in the history and growth of this nation as they lived out their vocations as factory workers and farm workers and mine workers and rail workers and construction workers and um, utility workers and office workers and domestic workers and maintenance workers and the like. Vocation happens to be something that Luther wrote much about. In doing so, he used the Latin word vocatio, which is most often translated into English as vocation, which is a perfectly accurate translation, but which unfortunately loses something in the translation because when we use the word vocation, we, I think this is accurate, tend to think of it as meaning your job your, your um, whatever you do it is to, to make a living as you, do th as you do what you do. In Luther's mind, that, that he referred to the word vocatio uh, and used the, the understanding of the Latin translation which refers to it as your calling. And he understood that to mean a calling from God, which is to say that when Luther used the word vocation, he was referring to something holy. A background note, in Luther's time, um, holy vocations or callings were pretty much universally regarded, especially in the church, as things that took you to a seminary or a monastery or a convent or to a church where you did things that were holy because you did things that were religious. 
For Luther, however, holiness referred every bit as much to your calling out of the church and into the world to be who you are and to do what you do, loving and serving God as you love and serve your neighbor. And so surely, God said, Luther said, God is at the holy work of forgiving sins and proclaiming the gospel when that's when an officially religious person like a, like a pastor or a priest does. But so too, Luther taught, God is at the holy work of doing things every bit as holy when, for example, teachers do what teachers do to teach others. Or students do what they do to grow into who they one day can be, not just for themselves, but for others. Or when someone in the medical field does what they do for the healing of others. Or when police officers or firefighters do what they do to protect and serve and come to the aid of others. Or when farmers or grocers or cooks or table-to-table -table staff and volunteers or free lunch program staff and volunteers or Thursday night Lutheran campus ministry volunteers do what they do to feed others, or when parents or grandparents or foster parents or step-parents or adoptive parents or godparents do what they do lovingly to raise others, or when laborers in countless fields do what they do to attend to the needs of others. Like the uh, laborer who came to Gloria Day's aid last week when the lights in the sanctuary for some reason suddenly froze up and stopped working. <laughs> or when the uh, IT laborer came to our IT department's aid when our loving our neighbor desire for a secure as can be network, uh, wireless network for both staff and guests required an upgrade that even, my goodness, Doug Brown couldn't do all by himself. And the list goes on. In some fields, of course, that holiness of what we do in our daily lives and in our work is easier to see than in others. I remember a conversation with a woman in uh, northern Minnesota, uh, a single mom who worked at a casino, which was not something she particularly necessarily enjoyed or even respected herself for, except that it was the only job in this small town that would pay her enough to uh, provide for her children. And she did regard providing for her children as a holy calling. She also knew that more than a few people in who worked with her were in the same situation she was and felt the same way about it all and who could use, for example, a smile once in a while or a word of encouragement once in a while or a friend once in a while or a prayer once in a while or a sister in Christ for Christ's sake once in a while which led her to come to believe that she was actually in one of the best places, this casino, she was in one of the best places she could possibly be to live into her calling, calling from God. Holiness, faithfulness, they aren't, Luther believed strongly, simply things that lead us to church to worship God or lead us to our daily devotionals to pray to God, they are also things that lead us into the world there and there precisely to be the people of God. Transforming the world, or at least our corner of it, by being all that we are and doing all that we do, loving God and serving God 
as we love and serve our neighbors. It's our vocation. And it's a holy thing, not just at church, but wherever in the world it finds you. Wherever in the world it finds you. Which takes us to the Bible's book of Romans, which we've been reading through all summer, and in which the author of Romans, St. Paul, expansively brings home the core message of the Christian gospel, which says that unlike the message of pretty much every other religion there is in the world, <clears throat> and unlike, unfortunately, the message of too many Christians, then and now, who've forgotten what it means truly to be a Christian, we are not justified, that is to say, lined up straight in our relationship with God by one single thing we've ever done or could do. Rather, we are justified, lined up straight in our relationship with God by faith in the love and mercy and grace of God made known for us in all that Jesus alone could do and did do. All the, all the way to Good Friday's cross and all the way to Easter's empty tomb. The church speak, Paul used to say that as succinctly as he could, and by the way, succinctly was, was actually not in, in, in Paul's wheelhouse, but as succinctly as he could, he said it this way, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Since Paul was so strident in his proclamation that we aren't saved, justified, made right with God by doing enough, therefore to be good enough for God, but rather by faith in the forgiving love of God. Many assumed now, then, and, and, and people assume still that what Paul says is that it doesn't matter what you do. As in God forgives sinners, so what the hell? Sin away. If you're interested in diving into that topic, I'm going to do something that this is the first time I've ever done, and that is to direct you to a sermon I preached on that very topic um, the first Sunday of July at our uh, jazz worship service. You can find it on our website or to listen to or to read, or if that doesn't work for you, you can email me, I'll send it to you. What I want to do now instead is to go to our text from Romans today, which is from the five chapter long end of the book of Romans, the overall theme of which here at the end of the book of Romans is this. Though of course you've been, you're not saved by what you do, let's nevertheless now talk about what you do. Though of course you're not saved by what you do, let's now talk about what you do. Let's not talk about just believing the faith of a Christian, but living the life of a Christian because of your faith. Paul doesn't use the word vocation, but that's exactly what he's talking about. Being who we are in our lives because of who we are in the arms of God's love and God's mercy and God's grace, in which we are in all called to do every good thing we do now do, <clears throat> not to earn God's love for us, but to be God's love for the world. Paul began this topic last week last week, the beginning of which we reread today, and which begins, pardon me, I, apparently I yelled a little too much at the game yesterday. There wasn't much to yell about, but I yelled anyway. 
which begins by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is, my goodness, this is good stuff. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In the old system, the Old Testament system, and the system of other ancient and even some modern religions too, sacrifices were oftentimes animals that were killed then to be offered to God. Sacrifices, in other words, in this system were dead things. <clears throat> Paul, however, says, I'm not talking about that. I mean, remember everything I've told you and the love of God and favor of God that have been proven to you by the dying and sacrificing Jesus did, his body hanging and dying on a cross once and for all, once and for you. <clears throat> and so I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. My goodness, so good. Doing the loving things we are called in our vocations to do as we live our lives aren't things we do somehow to earn the love of God, but rather things we do, things we do to worship God. And here you thought worshiping was only something you did here or only something you do at home with a Bible in your hands, not in Paul's mind. In Paul's mind, worshiping God is something you do by living your lives in the world with love in your hands and in your words and in your deeds. It's worship. Paul goes on, and it's every bit as good as he writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Surely I'm not the only one who in recent years can just can hardly even stand reading or listening to the news. I nevertheless have to because I, I preach and I was taught um, and I believe that you can't preach meaningfully to people in the world unless you have a clue about what's going on in their world which is what Arndt Halverson taught me in my preaching class 43 years ago now when he said that you prepare a sermon with a Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. But my goodness these days, I listen to the news and I get frustrated and angry and depressed about the levels we've sunk to and the tactics we've resorted to and the untruth and the hate and the prejudices and the fear-mongering we've bought into not just in the politics of this nation, but also even, for goodness sakes, in some of the churches in this nation, with church and state both now seeming to be careening toward an all-out split, defined by the vague but vicious battlefronts of the uh, so-called and raging 
culture wars in this nation urged on by the pundits, politicians, and preachers saying the things they keep saying and whistling the dog whistles they keep whistling. Or maybe that's just me. And it is to that to which Paul says, it's good stuff. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here's what I hear in those words, and I need to hear it oftentimes. I mean, I need to hear it all the time, and it does my soul good every single time. Roger, you know all that stuff you see and you hear these days, and you want to get all frustrated and angry and depressed? Here's a better idea. That stuff you don't like, don't be like that. That stuff that seems to be poisoning the world and trying so hard to poison your soul, don't be like that. Sure, the world is doing what it's doing and going where it's going, but there's no rule that says that that's what you need to do or where you need to go. Be different than that. Be who you are, because you're not defined by the world. You're defined by the grace and mercy of God. Don't be the world's hate. Be in the world God's love. Or in Paul's words, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And what does that look like? What would that do in grateful response to the one who showed us all the way to a cross that we aren't saved by what we do? Well, Paul is just now at the beginning of five chapters of telling us exactly that, which includes in today's reading telling us this. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers, bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. 
For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. That part, um, by the way, Paul is citing a verse in the book of Romans there, but that part, the book of Proverbs, but that part about, about vengeance and burning, heaping burning coals on people's heads, that can sound a little confusing. The, the message translation in this case helps, I think, by translating these two verses this way. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of that. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if they're thirsty, get them a drink. Your generosity will surprise them with goodness, which in my translation reads, if you need to kill somebody, kill them with kindness. After which Paul then says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Or again, in the message translation, don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Which, of course, is a far cry from the ways of the world. And that's not actually new news. It's always been. Which is why when Jesus, in today's gospel text, said that he was going to love and save the world by dying for it, Peter pushed back saying, no, 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 that's not how the world works. That's not going to happen on my watch. To which Jesus essentially responded, of course, that's not how the world works. The world needs saving. You too might push back at Paul when he defines the Christian vocation not as getting back at people, but loving people, including the people you do not at all like. To which we might say, no, Paul, that's not how the world works. To which, essentially, Paul in today's text responds, of course that's not how the world works. The world needs healing. Amen.